Um, so, so here's the disclaimer um, about today, something you all should know. I, this week I had my first ever workout meeting, and um, I don't know if you've ever done a workout meeting. I've done a workout meeting now, and I went with two people. I won't say who they are, um, but I went with them, and they broke my body. Um, and so if I just fall over, I'm okay. Um, my legs just hurt, you know, this what happens when you don't do squats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus is going to heal all my infirmities. Um, let's, let's bow our heads in prayer really quickly before we dive into the word. Um, Pops, I thank you for today. I thank you for having your way. And as Corey said, I just want to echo, God, I'm here to obey. We're here to obey. And so I ask that you would just lead us and guide us. Um, like we just sang, lead us and guide us in your ways, Lord. I ask that this word um, would really, really penetrate hearts, God. Um, I know it's doing a work on me still, um, and so I just ask that you would uh, go forth, Lord, and that you would be the person that is um, heard. Let your spirit be the person that's heard and felt today, not me. Um, I said you hide me behind your cross, Lord, um, and let the words and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto you. In your name we pray. Amen. Speaking of prayer, um, cool little fact. Um, at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, over there in the little, I think it's the chapel room. I might be saying the wrong word. Um, the chapel room, when you first walk into the Y on the left, at 9 o'clock, we were having intercession. So before you come in from the huddle, um, you guys are invited to intercede with us for a service for our city um, right there in the chapel at 9 o'clock. It's going to be an amazing time. Um, we just got off a summer of prayer, um, and that was amazing every Tuesday night at the at the. Um, at Union Coffee, and if you missed it, you, you really missed it. It was a time God was really moving. He was really working. Um, and so I invite you all every Sunday um, from here on out, 9 o'clock, in the chapel room, we're praying. All right? Um, last, last week, and this last three weeks, in fact, we've been diving into the story of Jonah, um, and it's really, really riveting, interesting tales. Like one of the shortest books I think I ever read. I think I was so excited. I read them all, like all the chapters in one go. And I was like, hey, I'm done. Like it's over already. This is the quickest book I've ever read. Um, and so it, it, was, it was really, really good. And we learned, Spencer told us that Nineveh is this really, really rough place. Um, all the bad stuff comes to it. It's like a modern day Detroit. Um, and so, just kidding, I've never been to Detroit. I hope it's great. Um, <laughs> but it's at the current, at the heart of the um, Assyrian Empire. And so Jonah, we know that Jonah's been sent there. Um, God asked him to go there. And that Jonah's had some kind of bump in the road every chapter, right? Like the first one he ran and then God, you know, got him with a well. The second one, you know, it was, it was nice. He was in the well. And the third one, he got to Nineveh and he gave this really, really half-hearted message that leaves out pretty much all the important details that Nineveh needs to know, right? Um, as Spencer said that he had a, a five-word in, in Hebrew. It's a five-word sermon, right? English is eight words, uh, five, five words in Hebrew, and it was just a, a short sermon. And this is so different from all of the other prophets and all the things that we normally say. If you read the Old Testament and you read the specifically the nature of the prophetic books, they, they go on. Like this, Jonah's the probably shortest message I've ever heard of a prophet in the Old Testament. Um, they're really, really, that's just people shaking their heads like, yeah, it's long. And so there'd be like 13 chapters of God saying how, you know, how he loved the Israelites and then how they did something wrong. And God's like, I'm going to punish you. And the Israelites 
if he gives them an offering, like an exit. Like, if you, you know, repent, you turn back to me, and you love me, you throw away your idols, you throw away your idolatry, all of it, your sexual immorality. If you throw away all that stuff, I'll have grace, and I won't do the things that I should, the things that you deserve, right? And so Jonah didn't really give Nineveh any of that. <laughs> he basically said, hey, you're going to hell in 40 days. And that was it. Like, can you just imagine, like, somebody walking through your town, like a, a guest pastor coming up and saying, hey, you're going to hell in 40 days and just sitting down. Like, it's, it's over. Church is over. I've done my message. I've done my job. That's not specifically what Jonah was supposed to do, but that is what he did. And so we look at this and we're like, why would Jonah do something like this? And so let's, let's put this in context because it makes a lot more sense when you think of the political scene and also, like, the, the prophetic things that are going on around this time in Israel. Um, and so you have Hosea and Amos. They are also minor prophets, um, some of um, Jonah's contemporaries. And they're going around Israel saying, hey, you know, the Assyrians are going to take over. This is what God has said. Um, if you don't believe me, let's put it up on the screen really quickly. Uh, we can see it. See it. Um, Hosea mentions it three times. He says, they will not remain in the Lord's land. Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean food in Assyria. Okay. Um, they will not return to Egypt, and they will, uh, will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent. Yep. And so um, they will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows from Assyria, floating like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. And if Hosea is just off, there's one more from Amos. Um, he says, Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. And so the Lord's clearly said, Assyrians are going to take over. It's like you're going to fall captive to um, you know, Assyria, because you have not repented, you've not turned from your wicked ways. And so Jonah's in the spot with like, well, God, if they can get destroyed, if you're saying that you're going to destroy them, I'm going to mind my business. You know, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm not going to tell them. I'm going to go get on this boat and go all the way to the other side of the known world um, from Assyria. That way I don't have to tell them Israel can be saved. It's all going to be great. You know, in, in addition to that prophetic thing, there's some political things going on. You know, like I can just imagine like um, – the, the wives and the women at the well talking about, like, you know, the Assyrians, you know, they, they messed up our trade. You know, they put on too much perfume and, like, all kinds of just petty stuff and all kinds of stuff. And they're like, Press, the prophets are saying that they're going to take care of us. And I'm like, nah, it's not going to happen. And so Jonah was like, I'm not going to be the one that's going to help deliver them from, the, you know, being, being thrown into the fiery pit. Lord, let them fall. It's okay. I'm cool with that. And so... You see this really interesting rhythm and this really interesting context of why, part of the reason why Jonah does not want to go to Assyria and to Nineveh. Because if I go to Nineveh, you know, there's a chance that the, the, the things that you said, that God said, could actually happen. Um, and so we, we can really, really just really, really see this. In fact, Fawcett, um, well, if you don't know who that is, it's a... Old, old, older guy, um, around the 1800s. He said in his commentary, the foretold executioner of God's coming judgment on Israel. And it was talking about Assyria. Okay? Um, and if you, you never had a commentary, you don't have a commentary, you know, the books are really thick. It's probably a lot of money. Um, there's a free app, um, shameless plug here, app on the Apple Store. If you don't have an Apple device, I'm really sorry. Um, but it's called Bible Dict, okay? And it has all of the little things, as Smith, Hitchcock, all of these great old people who really wrote a lot of good information about the Bible. It really helps you study. It illuminates it, brings life to a lot of things, um, and it's really cheap. So I would recommend getting that app. Um, anywho, back to Jonah. God's like, um, you're going to destroy them. And Jonah's like, mm-mm. They can be destroyed. That's fine. You know, 
you know, take your time, God. Do what you want to do, God, okay? Destroy them. All right, and God's like, no, Jonah, if you would give that same energy to running from what I called you to running to what I called you, we'd be great. And so let's dive into the scripture. Let's see where we're at. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 7, just to give us a little context, because chapter 4 starts off a little weird if you just read it by itself. Um, (laughs) And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Let them starve. Um, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Pause. It's really interesting that I don't ever recall the Israelites trying to get the beast in on the fast. Like, they, they never said, like, let my cows fast. They never did that. Interesting. Um, verse 9, where are we at? So who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Um, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it, did please, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Okay? And he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is, this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Um, for I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down upon the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said unto Jonah, do you do, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do. Well to be angry, angry enough to die. And let's read this together. Um, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also as much cattle. And so, breaking down and revisiting the scripture, that's, it's a lot to take in. I know it's a lot at one time. But I really love this text because there's so much that we can learn, so much that we can, we can uh, glean from it. And I have a really, really hard time thinking that God sent Jonah to Nineveh just for Nineveh, right? Like there's a whole entire lesson that Jonah's sitting here obviously learning because he's, he's willing to die. It's hard. It's tough. And he's willing this whole thing. And so we see this, this whole theme of obedience. We see that God's loving our enemies. Um, and this just happens to be a good opportunity for us to learn from somebody else's mistake. Say hello. I don't know if you ever learned from somebody else's mistake instead of your own, but it is great. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's go back and unpack some of these verses. Um, in verses 1 through 4, um, 
It says, you know, but Jonah seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was at home? You know, you're good, um, whatever. You know, you're compassionate. Now take my life because I want to die. And God's like, why are you angry, bro? And so Jonah thought that what the Lord decided to do was wrong. And then he became angry. And I think it's interesting looking at that like, in, the, in the context, like, the source of his anger was that he disagreed with what God was doing. How many times is that like us? Like, how many times are we like, yo, I don't like what you're doing in my life, God, and now I'm angry? Um, and we, we say things like, you know, God, I don't like my coworker, Laura, because she comes in all the time. She's late, and she never gets in trouble, and we about to be up for the same promotion. I just don't get it. Not realizing, like, the same grace that Laura gets, God's given to you. I think this is also like something that Jonah, Jonah missed. And also it's, I, we have things like that when we ask and we pray and we ask for things and God's like, all right, I'm going to do it. Like who's ever prayed for patience? Anybody? Yeah. And then you find your patience being tried like the whole entire next week. Yeah. I did it my whole entire freshman year until I realized that, oh, this is why this keeps happening because I keep asking you for patience. Okay, God, I'm good. I'm, I'm capped out. All right. <laughs> and so we see that like God's like, yo, you asked for this. And now you're angry because you don't agree with the way that I did it. In Isaiah, um, the prophet writes, um, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So obviously God's plan will not ever line up with ours because his is much better. Can we all just say it, man? Say, look at your neighbor and just say, it's much better. Yeah, it's much better. Okay? Um, I don't normally do the look at your neighbor thing, but it might just happen a lot today. We'll see. Um, <laughs> um, and we look at, we look at, we look at um, let's get to the next the scripture, um, 5 through 8. And this is when Jonah comes out of the city. Right, Jonah's outside of the city. He's going up on a giant hill. I can imagine he's somebody overlooking this massive city that took him three days to walk through, right? And so he, he, he's overlooking this massive city. He's, I mean, like he's probably made like a lean-to and sitting up there. I can imagine him in his little robes, like just sweating because it's hot. Um, and God's like, you know what? I'm going to grace you. So here's the plant. I'm going to let a plant grow up overnight, mind you. I don't know who's ever did it in gardening, but plants don't grow overnight. Um, oh, that only happens in movies and in the Bible. And so <laughs> the next day at dawn, like God sends this worm and the worm is obedient, even though Jonah wasn't. And the worm eats, um, eats the plant and Jonah doesn't have any more shade, right? Um, and so Jonah was really excited about the plant and then it went away. And again, Jonah's like, I want to die. Um, and I don't really know what's wrong with Jonah. I don't think I've ever, I can't relate. Can anybody relate to that? Like, God, I don't like it. I want to die. Like, what? <laughs> Jonah, are you four? Grow up, buddy. Um, <laughs> and so you, Jonah has like this really weird obsession. You know, slay me, God. I don't want to, I don't want this. And we're like, you know, chill, Jonah. Eat a Snickers. Not you when you're hungry. Okay. Um, this is such a teachable moment for Jonah. But looking at Jonah's disposition, like there's a motive behind this. Like, he's still like, you know, God, even though, you know, you did what you did, you forgave them, I'm going to sit up here on this, seat, this hill, and I don't know how many of us remember um, when Tudor first came out. There's a really big word called twatching. Um, so Jonah was on this hill, and he was, you know, kind of watching your timeline, just not even saying anything, just looking and see what, who's doing what, who's saying what. Um, and so he was on the hill, like, watching, like, 
This Desperate Housewives, like, looking like, yo, what is this? I imagine, like, the Michael Jackson meme where Michael has the popcorn, and he's in, in the movie theater, like, mm, <laughs> I'm just here for the comments. Like, God, I'm just here to see what's going to happen, okay? Um, and so we have Jonah on this hill with a horribly impromotive, because I think he's experienced the Israelites who have uh, repented and then went back to sin and repented and went back to sin. And so he's waiting. So, God, maybe you are going to strike this city down because... You know, they repented, but I'm sure next week they're going to be in the club um, doing things they shouldn't be. Um, and so that's where Jonah's, that's where we're at. Jonah's on this hill. And then God's like, okay, you know, you're being messy, but I'm still going to look out for you. And I'm going to give you some shade and some comfort. And we, we see this thing where God grows up this giant plant, and it's beautiful. And the, the plant is with him the next day when he wakes up. And it's like, oh. You've forsaken me. Um, let's die. And so we see this thing that Jonah complains about a lot. And not through, throughout this whole book, something that really stuck out to me was the amount of complaints that Jonah did. And so Jonah complained against God. Did that, and no, against God's nature. Um, and so he did that in this beginning of the chapter. Like, God, you're good, and you're gracious, and I don't like that you saved these people, and that's your nature. God, I'm, I'm not okay with that. Um, he also complained against his task or assignment, right? Um, he ran the opposite way and didn't do it um, for as much as he could. And then when he did do it, he did it halfway. Um, he also complained against his circumstances, right? I don't like where I'm going. I don't like what the position that you have me in. God, this is not cool. Um, this, this plan, you know, grew up and now it's gone. And so all of these, and all of these, he complained against God's plan. And the funny part about it is that even though this whole entire ordeal, the whole thing that he had to do would eventually go against his nation, his people. He still complained about it, and God still had a better plan. And it was because that he did this that Israelites were captured, and they were saying, hey, we can't make it without God. Hence, Jesus entered the scene. So God's plan was, this is a key portion in God's plan throughout the whole thing. Like, Jesus entered the scene because the Israelites couldn't do it, and they didn't see that they couldn't do it if they weren't in captivity by Assyria. It all ties together. It's really, really amazing. So let's look at the official definition of complaint by uh, Mrs. or maybe Ms. Mr. Merriam-Webster. Um, and the first one is to express grief or pain or discontent. So that does not mean that you have to use your mouth to, to complain. Okay? You can use your actions to complain. The second one, um, I really love this, is to make a formal accusation or charge. How many times have we made a formal accusation or charge against the Lord? I honestly believe that complaining is just a really, really big way of reinforcing a negative perspective or a negative paradigm. It's one of Spencer's favorite word, paradigm. Um, <laughs> a negative paradigm. And if we're honest, if we're really honest, so many of us are not mature enough to make an observation on a situation that appears to be negative. Um, because we can't, uh, we can't look at God's promise. We can't look at his faithfulness through that lens. We got to grow up. Um, and so we find ourselves angry, just like Jonah did. And then we have ourselves... Um, Learning that, like, yo, our complaints reveal the nature of our heart. What you say out of your mouth and your actions, they reveal what's inside. Like, yo, you don't trust God. We see that in your heart because of the way that you complain. You don't believe that God can do whatever you said he's going to do. You don't believe he can heal. You don't believe he can help you pay your rent on time. You don't believe that he can, he can help you uh, pass, a, uh, pass a test because our complaints reveal that. 
And in order to fix complaints, the, the easiest way to do this is just to give thanks. Um, Paul writes several times in the New Testament. Um, you look at First Thessalonians. It says to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Um, Philippians, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Um, Ephesians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. This is something that really convicts me. Um, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. This tackles complaining and gossip, amen. Um, and so we also have Peter who writes, um, show, hospitality, show hospitality to one another without complaining. I mean, so you're dinner guests, because we all should be having dinner guests throughout the week. Something we do is part of our mission. Um, they show up late or their food is not good. We should not be complaining or grumbling to one another about it. Um, <laughs> just want to put that in perspective in a modern context for us. Um, it's amazing to me that God still chooses to use Jonah. Paul does write that gifts come without repentance. And so in the same way it amazes me that God chose to use Jonah, it amazes me that he chose me to use me like, and to use you. Like, it still comes without repentance. We're still full of crap, right? And so we have this amazing God who graces us and is like, you know what? I'm going to use you even though you're messy. And so let's, let's uh, go ahead to verse 9 in chapter 4. Um, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. What's wrong? And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And Jonah never responds to this. We don't see where Jonah responds, what he says to this. And it's, it's really, really funny, and it's like, Jonah, you're tripping. Like, God loves all of us. But at the same time, can we say that and really mean it? Like, do we say the same thing when it comes to somebody that we don't like, somebody that we disagree with? And it can be the little, littlest situation. Your mom makes you upset over making coffee wrong. I don't know. It can be the littlest thing, and it grinds your gears, and you're like, you know what? I don't want to forgive you. I'm going to complain against you. I don't like that God's going to grace you and allow you to make coffee again tomorrow. Like, I don't like it, okay? And so it's really, really amazing, like, that we're all the people who are like, yo, you should reap what you sow. These people who are persecuting the church, these people who are persecuting on this job, the friends that aren't really doing a great job of being friends, you know, they need to reap what they sow, God. And I think this is why God says that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, because if it was up to us, there wouldn't be any grace. And so we have this really, really interesting thing like, God, yo, what is going on that you want to forgive all these people? And I'm like, I'm good. By Jonah's actions, this is what he said. He said, I won't love them, Lord. I won't do what you said because if I do, you might spare them. And I think we echo that a lot. Right? God, God, Jesus ultimately calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. But sometimes we don't want to love other people because it means that they'll get away with something that hurt us. Or they'll get away with something that we didn't like. We don't want to, learn, we don't want to love people who come and hurt the, the church, the body of Christ. We don't want to love them because they deserve justice. And I'm not saying that justice is wrong. 
but they, we don't want to love them because they hurt us. This is the real root of it. They hurt the church. These people said something bad about us. They, they attacked us. They persecuted us. Yeah, <laughs> none of us about to do that to the Israelites for over, uh, you know, over uh, about 200 years. Really? Like, are we really upset because someone made, made us upset for the next 10 minutes? And that we want God's vengeance on them. And they need to reap what they sow. And how many times does God call us to them? God calling us to love them. God calling us to, to give them a, a message. God calling us to encourage them. And we're like, nah, God, I don't do that. If you do that, if I do that, they might not reap you know, what they've sown. I'm going to ask um, the band to come up. Um, God is saying to be obedient because I care about them. God's screaming, I care about your enemies, even if you don't. And my concern for them trumps your concern for vengeance. And so today, we're going to, to move forward in taking communion. Um, something I grew up with, I took, took communion every first Sunday, most first Sundays. Um, missed a couple sometimes. But we took communion every Sunday. Something we're going to start um, here at United City. But something that I, I learned along the way was there, you know, there are little conditions sometimes to taking communion, okay? We can't take, we don't need to be taking communion if, if our hearts aren't right. Our hearts are right with God. And there's plenty of times in Scripture where Jesus says, hey, before you come to my temple make, and worship me, make sure that you're right with your brother and with your sister. So at this time, we're going to have a moment, um, a moment of silence. And I want us to reflect on, on who we need to make a commitment to love, um, even though they've done something to hurt us, right? So that could be your spouse, be your roommate, can be your parents, um, your, your professor, school teacher, whoever. We're going to take a minute just to close our eyes and to really, really see where we can make a change, where we can make commitment to love someone else.